The Fail On Podcast, episode 025. Yeah, so a lot of times I'll get people sending me a note saying, hey, would you mentor me? And I'm going to say, no, I'm not going to mentor you because that's a long-term relationship. Welcome to The Fail On Podcast, where we explore the hardships and obstacles today's industry leaders face on their journey to the top of their fields through careful insight and thoughtful conversation. By embracing failure, we'll show you how to build momentum without being consumed by the result. Now, please welcome your host, Rob Nunnery. Hey there, and welcome to the show that believes embracing failure in a hyper-focused way is the only way to achieve your dreams. In a world that only likes to share successes, we dissect the struggle by talking to honest and vulnerable entrepreneurs. This is a platform for their stories, and today's story is of Cameron Harold. At age 21, Cameron had 14 employees. By 35, he'd already helped build his first two $100 million companies. By the age of 42, Cameron engineered 1-800-GOT-JUNK's insane growth from $2 million all the way up to $106 million in revenue at their peak, and that was with 3,100 employees, and he did that in just six years. His companies have landed over 5,200 media placements in those same six years, including coverage on Oprah. Cameron's one of the most well-respected business minds in the world and still battles failure, hardship, insecurities, and struggles. We'll be discussing the best advice he ever got at the age of 20 and how that actually was the defining point of his life, what R&D means to Cameron and why people overcomplicate business when just getting started, and what his biggest insecurities and fears are even today after decades of success, and much more of course. But first, I have a lot of travel coming up and luckily all I need to travel with is a backpack for one reason only. It's a shirt from an awesome Toronto company called Unbound Merino. They have clothes and apparel made out of merino wool, and get this, you can wear it for months without ever needing to have it washed. It's a traveler's absolute dream, and it will turn you into a minimalist really quickly. Never check a bag again. Check in at the show notes page for an exclusive fail-on discount that you won't get anywhere else. And if you'd like to stay up to date on all the fail-on podcast interviews and key takeaways from each guest, simply go to failon.com and sign up for our newsletter at the bottom of the page. That's failon.com. So sitting here with Cameron Harold, we're in Carmel, California. Just to give you a little context, we've got a beautiful backdrop here of the hills in Carmel. It's uh, it's not on the water. We're inland a bit, but Carmel Valley. It's beautiful. That's pretty awesome, actually. And you just got in. Yeah, I got here about a half hour ago, and then got swarmed in the lobby and um, started <laughs> my got into my panic attack right away. And, <laughs> and I panic, I get nervous with stuff. So I yeah, I got nervous right away, realizing I don't remember everybody's name. And uh, they all knew me, and yeah. I couldn't remember them. And so yeah, I got in my head a little it's, bit. Uh, but stressful a little bit. Good to be back. Did you? So you came straight from Phoenix? Yeah, flew in from Scottsdale. There's that, uh, is that that direct American flight. Yeah, yeah, Monterey. That's it was nice. great. And there were six of us on the plane too. It was fun. Oh, nice. I went from so yesterday I came in. I did I did San Diego to Phoenix to Monterey, which was better Ouch. than going. Which was better than going like San Diego to San Jose than getting a car or trying right. to figure that out. Yeah. So it was okay though. Cool. So thanks for thanks for joining me. You're welcome. Glad happy to, be here. to have you here and happy to chat about your journey. So obviously you have COO Alliance. You help you help kind of the right hand man and entrepreneurs scale their current businesses. Mm-hmm. But before we go into kind of that, I want to go back to kind of your entry into entrepreneurship. Take us back to the first time that somebody actually gave you money in exchange for a product or service. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a little later than that and then sure. I'll go back to yep. it because I think that the, the whole like being afraid to fail kind of concept for, for our audience and our listener right now, there was one defining moment in my 
entrepreneurial career when I was allowed, I was kind of given permission. And I was 20 years old and I was looking to buy a franchise of a company called College Pro Painters, which is the largest residential house painting company on the planet. I was in university. And they don't sell you the franchise, they award it to you, but you have to buy a vehicle and buy ladders and hire a bunch of people and you sign a 67-page franchise agreement. And I was scared. I mean, you're getting a theme now. I was scared in the lobby, now I'm scared here. <laughs> and I remember calling my dad, who was probably my very first mentor, and um, he said, there's never a better time in your life to go bankrupt. And he said, try it. If you fail, it doesn't matter, but you'll always regret not trying if you don't. And the next day I signed a 67-page franchise agreement, and had I not done that, I would not be anywhere today. It gave me the foundation for all my business learning. It gave me the foundation for you know, other business opportunities that I was presented with. It gave me the launch pad for 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Literally that night when he said, there'll he said to the word, there will never be a better time in your life to fail because you don't have anything. You've got nothing. Yeah. You don't have any kids. You so don't have true. A, I've got four kids now. I've got an estate that we live on. I've got responsibilities. I've got homes in two cities. I've got, I have to make it happen. If you right? had a full-time job right now and you didn't have any of those other businesses, you just, you had lived your life like, had job to job, I'd be had too your squared. family, you'd be too, you'd too scared. Exactly. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to, I'd be paralyzed. Because I, failure would crush you at that well, point. And like, even, even today in my business world today, it would be hard for me to pivot and do something completely different because I've built a really great business now that the fear of failure is pretty big. But but I'll tell you, that was the best advice I ever got at 20 years old was just do it. And and there's never a better time. And you don't go bankrupt. You know, you're always going to figure it out. You're going to find a way. So that was probably the defining point. If I go back to the earlier parts when the first time anyone, um, say I was groomed as an entrepreneur. So that's why I had to start at got 20. Because the it. first time I ever did anything for money, I was eight. And I actually did a TED talk about this. So I have a talk that's on TED.com about raising kids as entrepreneurs. It was originally subtitled Instead of Lawyers, and then they cut out the Instead of Lawyers, but it's still been on the main TED site for seven years now. So my first entrepreneurial venture, my dad had these license plate protectors. He put them on the back of license plates, and he made me go sell them door to door. And I was eight. I was uh, in grade two, and I was knocking on doors, and I was scared to death, and the first guy said no. And I was like, all right. But if I go home and tell my dad I didn't sell any, he's going to be mad at me. So I'm going to knock on the next door. And that guy said no. And then I knocked on the next door and they said no. And I'm like, I still have to keep doing this. I have to sell some. And the next guy said yes, the fourth guy. And I, Were I you like mind-blown? Like, I was, I was over the moon. Why this guy say yes? I was like over the moon. I was like, wow, he just bought one. This is awesome. And yeah. I went running back to my house and I said to my dad, I sold some. And he goes, how many people said no? And I said three. And one said yes. And he goes, keep going until you get 10 no's. I'm like, but somebody said yes. He goes, keep going until you get 10 no's. And then I went to the next house and they said yes. So I would now sold two in a row. And I was like, that hooked me right away when I got two yeses in a row. And I don't even remember if I got to 10. I'm not sure how long the business venture lasted, whether I did three blocks or 30 <laughs> right, blocks. But, right. but I wasn't afraid of failing so much as afraid of failing my dad. Mm. I was afraid of failing him because he was coaching me. You know, I was taking his advice and he taught me how to, to say what to say to the door and let me do it. Is this like a structured thing? Like your dad consciously made the effort, like I'm going to, I'm going to teach Cameron how to do this. Yeah. So we were, we were groomed as entrepreneurs. My brother and sister and I, uh, my dad was an entrepreneur. Both my grandfathers were, um, I even married into an entrepreneurial family. And today my brother and sister and I all own our own companies as does my brother-in-law, as does my wife. So like it's all we've so ever known. Right? It worked. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's all I've ever known. So yeah, this was, this was a defining, there were a lot of things like that, you know, swimming in the ponds at the golf course and pulling out golf balls 
and then selling them. But I also learned to split them up into different groups. You could sell the bad ones as shag mm. balls and the good ones. And then you had like the pinnacles and DVHs mm. I could sell for two bucks. Um, so I learned marketing and packaging. And then I, I probably had 15 business ventures by the time I was 15 years old. That's awesome. You know, comic book arbitrage where I'd buy comics from the poor kids and then I would bike up to where the rich kids lived <laughs> and set up a card table. I had a card table on my back and I would set it up and then I would sell them to them. And then I'd go mm. back down and buy them from the poor kids again. And I just realized you buy low, sell high. And I got beat up one day because one of the rich kids found out where I was buying yeah. the comics. And <laughs> so yeah, that's where I started. That's cool. So for somebody that wasn't groomed in kind of that entrepreneurial environment, let's say they just get out of college. What's, what's kind of your advice for them trying to get into that, knowing they'd aren't kind of cut from the, you know, cut from the cloth of sure. getting a nine to five job. You know, college and high school and, and grade school, I think ruins, ruins us. Unless you're in the top 2% of kids, you're told every day that you're stupid yep. and you're told that you're not smart because the A plus kids are smart, but everybody else isn't. I was a C minus all the way through school. And so what I would take when I'm coming out of school now is you don't have to be the smart person, that all of the information exists and your R and D should stand for rip off and duplicate. Mm. So just take the best practices that already exist and do those. Instead of trying to figure it all out, just do what the best people are doing. And momentum will create your momentum. So just start, right? Just just start. And don't worry about having the perfect website. Don't worry about having the perfect pitch. Don't worry about just start. Start selling and you'll figure it out as you go. And then listen, like really listen. Because when your customers tell you something, you can iterate, you can tweak it, you can tweak your pitch, you, can, you know, you can tweak your marketing. Listen. Those are the two core things. What was... What was the actual, like, obviously you had all these, you said 15 before the age of 15. What was kind of the, the first real business where things got real throughout the, throughout the journey? The first, first real one was College Pro Painters. So I okay. had, tw I had yep. 12 employees when I was 20 years old. So I had a full operational business with marketing and sales and production and vehicles and suppliers and six crews painting six you know, houses at the same time. So that was the first. What kind of money did you have getting started into that? Did you have like a good reserve? No, I borrowed $3,000 from my dad. I borrowed $1,100 to buy an old van and $1,900 to buy some equipment. Mm. And then the guy who sold me the equipment let me pay him 900 of it later in the summer. And then I used about 400 or $500 to get some marketing material going. And then it was just, let's give her, right? A lot of guerrilla marketing. You yeah. know, anything I yeah. could do that was cheap, talking to people, putting flyers out. And, and I didn't ask for permission. I remember going to the, one of the golf clubs because I realized that all those people who were members at the golf club were rich and they could afford to have me paint their house and they might even like hiring a kid to paint their house because you know they're giving back in a way sure. so I went and I stuffed flyers in everybody's locker and uh, the pro caught me and, and asked me to leave and so I left and then like an hour later when the pro left I went back in and I finished <laughs> off the finished off the locker room but you, you had to right like yeah. there, there is no other way like I'm not gonna you don't have the money to start and even in business today like you can just build relationships and ask for referrals and talk to your customers and do a great job and ask for another referral. Right. I think people, basics. people get so overwhelmed with like all the information out there in terms of like this online marketing course, this internet marketing, course. like there's just so much out there that you can go back to the basics and, and break it down really simply. Right. Yeah. I go back, I call it my God and grandmother rule that if I wouldn't do it in front of God and my grandmother, then I shouldn't do it. Hmm. And also all of the grandmotherisms, as I call them are all true. You know, that, that if you, treat people with respect and if you work hard and like all it's all true and business isn't difficult i always see the fly you know if you're if you're listening and you see the fly kind of trying to get out the window and it's banging its head on the window but if you look like 
10 feet away, there's a door and it's wide open. Just turn and go out the door. Mm. So I always look for that path of least resistance. Yep. I look for the easiest ways, the shortcuts. And I think a lot of people are just work hard constantly. Well, maybe it's about working smart. You know, maybe it's about getting to know the right people. Even why we're at this event right now, Mastermind Talks, is because we're hanging out with really successful people who are all here to help each other. So for somebody that's... Oh, I, I was just talking to Dan Martell about this and... He said the number one thing that's been like his biggest catalyst is people. It's, it's you know, in, in the negative sense where he went to jail because he was hanging out with the wrong crowd, yep. but also in a positive sense where he elevated his network and that changed everything for him. Yeah, it's not who you know, or sorry, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Totally. And, and then your network is your net worth, right? So it's it's by spending money. I had a dinner 10 years ago with Evan Pagan, who's mm -hmm. a big internet marketing guy. And I didn't know who Evan was. And we were having dinner together, just the two of us. And, and he said, he asked me where I was investing my money. And I was telling him the stocks and blah, blah, blah. And I said, what about you? And he goes, this year I'm putting, and I won't tell you the exact number, but it was well over hundred grand into relationships. Mm. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, I'm going to spend 40 grand to go to Necker Island. And I'm going to spend 20 to join this group. And he goes, I figure that if I'm spending time with really successful people, my, it was about 200,000. My 200,000 will be worth about 2 million because of the relationships that I build. Yep. And if I put 200000 into the stock market, it'll probably be worth 220000 And I'm like, wow, you're right. Like, so you're going to get 10% in the market, but you're going to get a 10x return on your relationships. As long as you spend time getting to know people and being vulnerable and not trying to sell to them, right? Just showing up and... Not trying to take. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to give, right? So for somebody that doesn't have 200K to put into relationships right now, maybe well, they're maybe they're just in a job, but they know they're kind of destined for more. Like, but they don't know they don't have those people around them. Go to the go to the tech meetups that are mm. in your city. Go to some of the meetup groups that are in your city. You know, organize. Just po post something on Facebook and say you're getting some people together for coffee, yep. and and go and buy 10 people coffee. I had dinner last week in Austin, Texas, and I put a note on Facebook, and I had 10 CEOs come to the dinner. And I paid, and it was $890 total because one guy bought a $160 bottle of wine, right? <laughs> but, but that's not a lot of money to spend right, to have dinner right. with 10 people, right? Yep. Uh, you could do that over coffee, and it would cost you 50 bucks. Totally. Right? Or, or you don't even have to buy the coffee. I've seen people that they, they call it lobby surfing um, or lobby con. They'll go to a conference. They won't pay to go to the conference, and they'll hang out in the lobby <laughs> at the conference just to talk to people. Like that lobby con. Well, there's a, I'll tell you, there's one of the kids who I've mentored, a guy named Connor Blakely. I don't know. Do you know Connor? Yeah, young guy, right? Yeah, 17 yep. years old. He's known as a Gen Y or Gen Z guy or Gen Z, I guess. And uh, I've known him since he was 15. He cold called myself and Gary Vaynerchuk on the same day to ask us if we'd mentor him. Neither of us knew who he was. We both said yes. I did my first call with Connor when Why'd he was 15. Why'd you say yes? Because he asked and he knew what he wanted. That mm. was the key. What, he actually could yeah, tell me the top five things he wanted to learn from me. Got it. And it was learning. It wasn't introductions. And I said, yes, that we would do the call. I did a quick Skype call with him for a half hour. And I said, I need to talk to your parents really quickly to make sure that it's okay. Because it was <laughs> kind of weird, right? This, you know, guy talking to a 15-year-old kid. And yeah. his parents came in and waved. And dad said, thumbs up. And I said, okay. So we talked. And he was very clear on what he wanted to learn. And then afterwards, he followed up with a, uh, an email saying thank you and a physical note that he mailed to me saying thank you. And that was it. That's all he needed to do. And from there, I've become a huge fan. I mm. introduce him to everybody I can. So that's another thing is just reach out and ask. You know, every single person who's successful got helped by someone at some point in their career. And at some point, we as humans like to help other people. So we tend to say yes, but you have to respect their time. So if you call and say, you know, hey, will you mentor me? You're going to say no. Well, right? I was going to ask, what's the difference between what Connor did versus somebody you have said no to? Yeah. So a lot of times I'll get people sending me a note saying, hey, would you mentor me? And I'm going to say, no, I'm not going to mentor you because that's a long term relationship. Yep. 
But, and that's what I do for money as well. I coach and mentor CEOs all over the world who pay me to do that. Right. So chances are I'm probably not going to do it for free. Connor didn't ask me to mentor him. He said, do you have 15 minutes? I'd like to do a quick call with you to ask you these five questions. Totally different. Sure. Done. Yeah, totally right? different. Absolutely. And then guess what happens after 15 minutes? Hey, do you mind if I ping you in a month or so with a follow-up question? For sure. And then guess what happens? All of a sudden, it's like I get emails and texts. And <laughs> I, I literally, I got a text message from him on the plane today. Um, I got a text message. Like I get text messages from Connor and emails from Connor all the time asking me questions. And I will go through brick walls for this guy now. Right. But it's because he, he came strategically. Yeah, and he understood what he was looking for. Yeah, yeah there he is, 3 o'clock. He texted me again. <laughs> so That's great. So did you run into any hard – like what would – obviously it was a big mental shift to, to actually invest in college pro painters. Did you run into like any struggles, hardships at the beginning or any massive failures through that business? Oh, for sure. I was probably six weeks into running the business and I'd hired four or five of my really close friends – to move to the city to work for me, we were about six weeks into the business and they thought I was making tons of money and they hated me. And I was almost bankrupt and wasn't making any money. Mm. So what they saw was revenue. They didn't understand all the expenses and they didn't understand the difference between revenue minus expenses equals hopefully profit. <laughs> right. And I wasn't making any. Yeah. So I, um, I went and told my dad, again, my first mentor, right? And my dad said, well, why don't you show them your accounting? And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, just literally show it to them take your numbers and put them right in front of them. So I had all the guys over and we had pizza and beer and I showed them my numbers and within half an hour, they were all worried we were going bankrupt and they were committed to help me grow. Mm. It turned the whole thing around, that open book financials. No, that's like, being transparent before it was like a cool thing, right? Because like yeah. a, lot of, a lot of business owners try to hide that stuff. Well, I, I think people, again, there's nothing to hide. Right. You know, e either your employees think you're making too much money, which is almost always the case because they can't add up all the expenses. Right. And they don't understand. I told my assistant the other day that 42% of my gross revenue goes to the government. She had no idea. Right. So if I run a seminar and I have people paying seven grand for a couple of days to come and they don't understand that 42% of that doesn't even hit it's my pocket. Not just going in your bank account. Right? It's gone. <laughs> right. Plus the expenses and the food and yeah. the marketing. And so yep. yeah, they don't, they don't always add that stuff up. So I think transparency is really... It's it's easier too. Yeah. So, what was the transition from College Pro Painters? How did what was the evolution there, and where did it go? So, College Pro, I was there for seven years. I I was um, three years running a franchise, and then four years at the head office. Mm -hmm. And I worked at the head office, coaching and mentoring franchisees. So, I would would recruit, interview, hire, and train franchisees, and then coach them for four months. And two of the of the last franchisees that I hired and coached, one was Elon Musk's brother Kimball. And the other was his cousin, Peter Reeve, who runs Solar City, mm. And they both worked for me as their very first. I taught both of them first how to business. run companies. Yeah. Very in fact, cool. I was a reference for Elon in his first round of funding because they wouldn't back Elon. They backed Kimball with his college pro painters experience. <laughs> that's awesome. That's in, his, in Elon's book as well. It's pretty funny. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. So what, what actually made you want to go to the head office? Did you still have the franchise? It was just running on its own? No. So I, once you, at the end of every year, you have to re-up and, and take it, it for the next year. So at the end of three years, it was, I was done, finished school. And I saw an opportunity to learn how to really run businesses. And um, so as, as an example, there's 60 people at the head office and we would hire and recruit and train 800 franchisees who would then hire 8,000 painters. And then in four months, we'd paint $64 million in houses and then 8,800 kids would quit and go back to school. Mm. I was in the top 30 people in that company. So every year getting taught how to build a 9,000 person company was pretty huge training. Yeah, it's cool. So that's where I got a lot of my pure, pure business training. Got it. You might be a bit biased here, but because you kind you kind of got into the entrepreneurial world, 
in the franchise model. Mm -hmm. For somebody looking to get into business for the first time, I don't like franchises. Okay. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of franchises because most franchisors, the reason they franchised is they couldn't make enough money on their own, so they decided to sell franchises as a way to leverage. Got it. Now, if it's a really good system, talk to the franchisees. If the franchisees are making money, then it can be okay. So when we built 1-800-GOT-JUNK as an example, our franchisees made tons of money. Mm. So everyone wanted to buy more franchises because the franchisees did well and we did well. Got it. But there's lots of systems where it's not a good model. Got it. What was, what's been like the most massive failure for you on your journey? One was not listening where we had some, I'm, as you can tell, kind of outgoing and extroverted at times. I'm also introverted. It's weird. We had a, a head of finance who was very quiet and very amiable, very analytical, who kept telling um, us at 1-800-GOT-JUNK to be careful. So I was the chief operating officer. I took them from 14 employees to 3,000. And right at, around the pinnacle of our growth, probably when we were about 2,000 employees, he kept saying, be careful. You're spending too quickly. You're opening too many corporate locations. We're spending too much on bonuses. We're, this office renovation is too expensive. And, and the CEO and I kept saying, oh, we're fine. We're good because in our head we were and we thought we could manage it all. And then one day we needed to borrow some money because uh, we'd spent $5 million of our current cash on an office renovation and moves and bonuses, et cetera. So we went to the bank and the bank said, well, you don't have any cash. And we're like, yeah, no, of course not. That's why we're here, <laughs> right? We've been profitable every year for six years. We've used all of our own money. We have no debt. And they went, well, that's really stupid. And we're like, why? Like, isn't it smart to not have debt? And they said, no, you actually should have leveraged your balance sheet. You should have come to borrow money when you had 5 million. You should have come to borrow 5 million. Hmm. We're like, well, we didn't need it. And they said, but you don't understand finance. And we went, you're right, we didn't. So we didn't really understand how the financial world worked. The big lesson was that, you know, if you're buying a house, you get a mortgage. Well, when you're building a business, a loan is just like a mortgage against your business. And if you take a little bit of cash in the right way to allow yourself to grow, you can fuel your growth. But we also wouldn't listen to someone who is quiet because we thought, well, I don't even know if we thought we knew better. We just weren't listening. Mm. So now what we decided was if we have someone who we've hired, it's our job to listen to them. Otherwise, why did we hire them in the first place? So we hire really smart people and we put systems in place to make sure that we listen. Mm. What's been the toughest part? Like, I'm talking, because obviously entrepreneurs, I mean, it's, it's all a roller coaster, right? Highs, tons of highs, tons of really a, low lows. I had What's, a massive low five months ago. I, I got hit with a $420,000 tax bill that I didn't know was coming, hmm. um, like right out of left field. And that's the thing, like they never the end, day before, right? The day before I went away on Christmas holidays with my wife. Oh, it's the worst timing too. It was brutal. Yeah, it was brutal. And so you just, I, I sat down and I cried, probably smoked a joint, had a drink. <laughs> um, and I just, I, I made a list. I made a list of every expense I could cut. I made a list of everywhere that I could quickly bring in cash. Mm. And, and it was all very low hanging fruit. It was like quick and easy things that I could do to cut and drive revenue and drive gross margin as fast as possible. And three and a half months later, I was done. I mm. paid it, I covered it and it was good, but it was extraordinarily scary. So that's interesting because it sounds like you, how, how long was it that you were like, like kind of sh in shock before actually, days. okay, so like 10 days, then you're like, okay, I got to devise a plan. It was the whole Christmas holidays where I promised uh, myself I wouldn't work. Yeah. So I just decided that while I was gone, I would just be in the moment with my wife and be in the moment and be in the moment. And it was hard, but I knew that I knew myself well enough that if I started working on the plan, I wouldn't be able to enjoy the holiday. Mm. We need to recharge as entrepreneurs. You know, we're like a phone that you have to plug your phone in or it doesn't work. And we need to recharge and, and you know, 
And if you don't, you'll come to a breaking point. Fast. You come to a breaking point fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you, so what are you most excited about today? What are you working on? What I'm working on now is the COO Alliance for sure. It's the only network of its kind in the world for seconding commands. You know, there's a million groups for entrepreneurs and there's places for marketers and engineers and lawyers, but no one had ever put anything together for the seconding command. Mm-hmm. So I've got the only network where the COOs or VP ops, GMs can actually mastermind together, learn from each other, leverage each other. Got it. Do you feel like you're on more of the the creative strategic side? Because obviously the CEO side is very systems-driven, process-driven, operations. Um, which side do you feel like your strengths at? I'm, a, I'm kind of an anomaly. I play both sides where I'm very entrepreneurial because that was the world I grew up in, mm-hmm. but I'm also very operational. I, I think my... So I have ADD, bipolar, and I'm on the spectrum for Tourette's. So I'm, according to the medical system, I'm a bit of a disaster. <laughs> But I've learned how to how the, those are all my strengths, so I don't medicate for any of those. Right. But my o, my OCD, I'm obsessive compulsive enough that that counters everything. So I'm I'm operational to a point, but I would be a terrible COO past a hundred million. Got it. You know, we took we took one eight hundred got junk from two million to a hundred million, and then when I left, they were to go from a hundred million to the billion. I could I can't do that part. Got it. You what's know, what's the difference? It starts getting big. You know, we had 3,000 employees. We were operating in 330 cities and four countries, and, you know, 46 states, multiple languages, 250 people at the head office. It just is big. Yeah. It's it's political. There's cross-matrix decision-making. You're dealing with consultants. It's just big. And you can't be entrepreneurial. You mm. can't make decisions the way that you make them as an entrepreneur. You know, when you're in the 10 to... 100 employee range, being an entrepreneur is easy right. because you can make decisions on the fly. You can trust your gut. You can't trust your gut when you got 3,000 employees. You have to trust the data. You have to trust the analytics. You have to you have to challenge your assumptions, and I'm not that good at that. How would you define failure? How would I define failure? I, I don't I don't really think about failure. I don't know. Probably let's, next let's, question. Yeah. <laughs> let's think about really, when you're let's think about like when you're starting like college pro painters. I think it's not trying. I think it's not trying. Someone asked me the other day, what would the words be on my tombstone? And I said, he tried. Mm. It sounds a little sad in a way that I rethink it every once in a while, but he tried. Like, you did I think, it. Like you went for it. I just tried, yeah. right? Like I've tried my best as a husband. I've tried my best as a dad. I've tried my best as an entrepreneur, as a friend. Like I've tried. And I think failure for me would be just not trying. I like it. I like you know, it. Because I also measure down. I don't measure up. So there's always going to be someone who's richer or has a fancier... Um, car or flashier wife or like something. like <laughs> uh, my wife's pretty amazing but but there's always somebody who's got like a bigger flies private and so if you measure against that then you're always going to feel like a failure because there's always somebody there and that's how the school system is there's always somebody smarter so that meant i was the failure and i refuse to accept that today that i measure against all the kids who i was smarter than and i go wow i'm actually pretty smart or i am making a lot of money i'm pretty successful or you know so i, I don't i think failure is just not trying mm. How would we, you talked a little bit earlier about the, um, the education system? What should it look like? Oh, so well, it's different as well, right? So remember, I went to school. So I'm 50. So I went to school, you know, finished school 30 years ago. There was no Google. You know, to look something up, you had to go to the library, go through a Dewey Decimal System and a filing, and you had to find the book, and then you took the card to go find the book, and it was out. So then you went <laughs> back to the system, and, like it was insane, yeah. right? And then you, so you had to be the smart person. You had to memorize everything because you didn't have a network to tap into. Now, I think the school system should be completely different. The other thing I think, so one thing is everyone should get an A. There should be no grades. Everyone should get A's. 
Because to systematically every single day tell people they're stupid is destroying our entire economy, yeah. right? But if you tell everybody you're actually really smart and build their confidence should be half of what school is about. All the tests should be open book. All the tests should be in groups. It should be about collaborating, researching, problem solving as groups, leveraging each other's resources, leveraging each other's strengths. Hey, you're good at design. You're good at, at research. You're good at, at copy. Like figuring that out and working together as a team. So yep. collaborating, problem solving, researching, presenting as a group, and everybody gets an A. And, and you can do your research and study whatever the hell you want. So if you want to study podcasting, go for it. You want to study Native Indians, go nuts. You want to study World War, whatever, that's your prerogative. But People should be doing stuff they're interested should, in, right? right? It's insane. <laughs> Why so, else would you do it? Like, so the school system matters. is so stupid. And it would relieve the pressure off the teachers. Because now the teachers wouldn't have to grade everybody. The teachers would be there to encourage and align. And I think what's going to happen, and we're going to see it in the next 10 years, the school systems as we know it today will be completely destroyed. It'll have to be. Yeah. And the university pay for, you know, come out with theory for four years and come out with debt is insane. It'll it'll collapse as well. It's such a big institution though. What what do you think is gonna be kind of the the downfall of it? That'll make that'll actually make that shift happen. Well, I've I've got an idea that I actually wanted to do a TED talk on that is to take almost a challenge for credit system where you say you get companies like Google to say that they will hire ten percent of their workforce as long as they don't have a degree. Like you can't have one. So 10% will not have one, but they will provide enough points that they've gained from doing things. So you can get points for apprentice. You can get points for traveling around the world. Like that. You can get points for, um, for doing Khan Academy courses. You can get points for coming to events. You can get points for job shadowing. And there's all these points that you gather and the points will actually give you a degree-like certification. And basically what we're saying is challenge for your own darn credit. If it takes you three weeks or three years it doesn't matter and guess what it's free yeah i love that that's awesome because you're actually doing stuff you want to do yeah i like i would hire people like that yeah i could go to the mastermind talks tomorrow and tell 150 entrepreneurs to sign up for it and every one of them would 100 <laughs> percent. they really would everyone so i think that's the kind of movement that will happen yeah, yeah. because people are just pissed off is that something you want to is that something you want to be in the forefront of like actually i would spearhead it and i would talk to people and get it going as kind of a charity and a movement but i have a business and kids and so <laughs> not yeah. dedicating your life to well, it well it's funny like simon and i were simon Sinek and i have been friends for 15 years since before anyone knew either yep. of us we've known each other in fact i hired him to do our branding and remarketing how did you guys meet each other initially he flew out to meet me because he read about me in fortune magazine okay and he wanted to find out if 1-800-GOT-JUNK and myself and Brian were real. Got it. Um, Got it. Literally. So he flew from New York to come and meet us for lunch. And he and his partner were running an ad agency at the time. Um, Very cool. Yes. Yeah, so we don't, but anyway, so, so yeah. when we were doing our TED Talks, his, his TEDx was about his upcoming book. And mine had nothing to do with anything I made money at, <laughs> which right. is so stupid. So people interview me all the time about raising kids as entrepreneurs. I'm like, yeah, and I don't make any money job. off that, right? So <laughs> right. yes, I might want to spearhead something like this challenge for credit system as an idea and a concept um, because I think someone would latch onto it. But do you not ever think about doing it for money? No. Or are you just no, you're so in free. the zone for what you do? There's no reason for anybody to actually... Oh, sorry. Do you mean doing the? I mean, I mean, like you, you know, you said you did the TED talk on something you don't want to make yeah. money with. Yeah. Is that not something that you feel strongly enough about to pursue that as a business opportunity? Oh no. Yeah, I wouldn't want to pursue. I, I think this challenge for credit idea should be done for free. Yeah. And it shouldn't cost anybody any money, and it should be crowdsourced. Right. And literally, as a way to, I really want to tear apart the school system. I'm so fundamentally pissed off at the way I was treated. A lot of people are. Yeah. Like I was literally destroyed. It's it's the reason for my insecurity. It's the basis for me being like as confident as I should be with all my successes. Yep. I still walk around saying, I hope people like me. I hope they think I'm smart. 
That's fucked up. Yeah. But that's because of 18 years being told I was stupid. Were your parents kind of counterbalancing that a little bit? Like, obviously raising you as like an entrepreneur. No, I mean, my mom wanted me to work harder. Mm. She came from that kind of Protestant work ethic and work it. hard. My dad couldn't have cared less about school. He was, you know, if you have to cheat to get by, that's cool. Here's how you cheat. Here's how you, <laughs> here's how you write your cheat sheets and slide them under your, like my dad was all about the shortcuts. Uh. So I don't think he really, my dad went to university, but he went yeah. to school to be a, a dentist and then, you know, never used his degree. Got it. So I think he kind of understood What as did well. he end up doing? Running his own company. Okay. Yeah. He ran some gas stations and then became a um, automotive industrial reseller. Supplies mm. a lot of big companies with automotive parts. Got it. Yeah. So for somebody looking to get into business, for the first time you work with mostly experienced entrepreneurs, but maybe you've had this, maybe you've had this conversation a lot with them and you're obviously in these mastermind talks groups. So for somebody just looking to get started into business, don't have an idea, don't know where to get started. How old are they? Let's say, 20? no, let's say this, say they're 25, 26, few years in corporate America. Okay. I would say quit your job today and cold Turkey, just cold Turkey and go find four companies in your city. Let's say you're in Austin, Texas, go find four of the best companies to work for. And ask them if you can apprentice for them for six months each. And you will do whatever they ask. All you want is minimum wage or nothing. Somewhere between zero and minimum wage. And um, But you want to be able to sit in on some board meetings. You want to be able to, to sit in with the CEO once in a while and do all the other stuff. And just kind of create a little process for yourself to be surrounded by these smart people. And I would, if you do that with four amazing companies over a period of a year or two, you'll learn a ton. Right? Yeah, I love this so much more because... <laughs> I have like I asked everybody that question, and so many people are like, you know, start the side hustle, which you know, keep your job, start the side hustle, which it, that's not what worked for me. Like worked for me, quitting cold turkey and mm -hmm. going to jump into a new business and learning. And like I actually went the route that you pretty much said. I went to work for a company that was selling health and beauty products, and I learned how to sell them online working right. for them. Yeah, I don't think the side hustle works because I think you can spend a lot of your side time learning. And watching podcasts and listening to podcasts and, and, you know, learning online. And that's great reading and devouring and starting to put it in place. But total, I think to, total to be successful, you got to dive in. Totally. Total immersion. To in. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I love that answer because it's like everybody side hustle, side hustle. Well, even I see businesses today. So I'll coach entrepreneurs today who have this next business that they're starting. And I said, you know, like sitting on a toilet is okay. But if you sit on two toilets, it gets kind of messy. <laughs> and and you can't sit on two toilets. You have to get your one business up and running and then have a team running it for you to allow you the time to go run your second one. What would you say for somebody that's kind of a solo entrepreneur that ha they have a business that's running? They don't, they're kind of doing everything themselves. Maybe they have a couple of VAs. Like what would you tell them in terms of scale of actually growing that and getting systems in place? Sure. A couple of things. One, if you were only able to work for two hours a day, let's say you were critically ill or your spouse was or your family, you know, you could literally only work for two hours a day. What would you do during those two hours? And then start delegating everything except that. That's one starting point. Secondly, think about how much money you're making this year. Let's say you're making a hundred grand. That's $50 an hour. Start delegating everything that's on your list that is worth less than $50 an hour. And then start leveraging places like Upwork or Hire My Mom or Fiverr to just get miscellaneous stuff done and out the door so that you can, you know, keep working on your critical things. And then last is, is momentum creates momentum. So don't worry about perfect. No one actually cares about perfect. Even whatever you got in university or high school, no one ever looked at your university transcript since. That's the thing that pisses me off the most is when they kept saying go for A's, no one's ever cared since. They could have said go for C's and that would have been <laughs> totally. enough, right? So I think if you're starting your business and you're going to get going, 
just get some stuff out the door. Don't worry about the perfect website. Just launch one. Yep. Don't worry about the perfect sales call. Just do one. And that's it's a it's a great point because I think so many people getting started think, you know, with their first business, it's going to be the only business they ever do. It's going to be this is it. Like it yeah. has to be perfect. It'll be about it'll be one of seven. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And that's that's for almost everybody. I'm sure there's the anomaly of you know somebody started their first business and they still do it today. Maybe I don't know. I haven't met that person, but. I think it does paralyze a lot of people. No, for sure it does. What's the last thing you did to get outside of your comfort zone? To kind of stretch your limits a little bit? Oh, God. Whether it's business, wake personal. Up, wake up this morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I like woke up. I talked to a, a couple sitting beside me at a table today in a mm-hmm. restaurant because I don't like talking to strangers. So I decided to force myself to say hi to them. That was out of my comfort zone. At 100%. Right? And it sounds so simple, but it did. It makes you grow. Yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty much always out of my comfort zone now. I'm just I've kind of started to give up on being insecure, and I, I talk about it because then that gives me strength. So yeah, I'm always out of it. I'm stretching. Uh, coming to mastermind talks, like I love being, I love being here because I'm stretched by every single person that's here. Right, everyone's doing amazing stuff and learning. That if I go in and ask questions and find out what they're doing and what they're working on, like I'm fascinated by this technology you're using for podcasts. And yep, you just keep learning, asking questions. And is it outside, like I know you said you're extroverted, but also introverted. How do you do in these like kind of big group settings with a lot of people? Drink. <laughs> yeah, drink. Um, Find the bar. True. It's true. <laughs> I, I, I leverage a little bit of that yep. to just relax. I realize that everybody's a little nervous. I've also realized years ago that every single person is really a 16-year-old trapped in an adult body. <laughs> right? You're the 16-year-old Rob. I'm yep. the 16-year-old Cameron. You're actually a warmer version because you've got a sweatshirt on. And I realized I didn't bring any sweaters <laughs> or anything here. I'm making you sit on the patio. Yeah. So I, I realized that everybody's a little scared. Everybody's a little awkward. Everybody's a little insecure. And everybody's actually more worried about their own shit than worried about you. So just go talk to people. Mm. So you just go. How do you assess like risk when you're looking at whether it's a new business, a new investment? Like, What do you take into account? I reverse engineer. So I start with the goal and then work it backwards. So I look at probably what the ROI would be and what my time and money is going to be to get mm. there. I try to rip off and duplicate. I try to find paths that other people have done. Like I'm actually starting a podcast without wanting to be a podcaster, yep. but I'm going to start interviewing second in commands. Everybody's interviewing the entrepreneurs. No yep. one's actually interviewing the person who's putting it in place. So I'm going to just talk to all the second in commands of all the people that get interviewed. And, but I want to find out. So like, what do you use and what makes a good podcast and what doesn't and what's the proper amount of time and how did you, how many do you release? And um, for post-production, does it really matter or does it? And I just want to ask questions. I like so it. So go in and, and instead of me trying to read lots of books, I'll just talk to 10 guys that are doing it and that'll get me most of the way. That's exactly it. And I think it's, it's like you said, it's not talked about enough. Like COOs. I mean, it was, so my last business, I had a, I had a partner and we got into the business as partners kind of by so as we were working for an entrepreneur, like for, uh, working that for that health and beauty company, we both learned the skill there. We we're both like, okay, like they changed a lot of things. We wanted to leave, and now we have the skill to go do it on our own. But we kind of just jumped into that because we were both trying to escape that company. Sure. And we became partners, without ever considering should we be partners. <laughs> like, does your skill set complement mine? Yeah. And absolutely no. I would I would say that for most people as well that are sitting and thinking about starting a business, you don't need a partner. And I think that's an insecurity that people take. 
oh, let's start a business. Who can I start one with? Do you want to start one with me? 100% my issue. And you don't need one. Yep. What you need is to surround yourself with mentors or people who you can ask questions of but and realize that everybody's a little bit scared. But to give up half your company to another person... Just because you're insecure? Right. This isn't having a family. Like yep. You don't technically need another person. Well, you don't even really need another person to have a family. But, <laughs> but you know, it's easier, yeah. right? Well, yeah. you're, not, you're not raising kids here. Right. You know, you're going to hire people. You're going to outsource. So the confidence thing you can get over, a person isn't going to ever solve that confidence. Yep. And it's not worth giving up half your business for that. It's crazy to say that. It's exactly the situation I was in. And we had the same skill set. So it's not even like he was like a like a good process systems guy because that's not me no you probably got along because you were both the same exactly exactly but (laughs) great friends bad business partners (laughs) happens a lot i'm sure i'm sure i've even got a couple of my clients who are co-ceos working with marriage counselors right now Mm. and i've got a marriage counselor who half of her business is focused on co-ceos and she just runs them through the normal marriage counseling you know work because she's it's all about relationships and trust and communication and yeah it's interesting that is interesting. So what are you most excited about moving forward? Obviously, you're, you're passionate about the alternative education and getting that change. But with that, within everything you're doing with your coaching and CO Alliance. I'm excited about finding a sweater for tonight. That's, <laughs> that's going to be key well, here. Jason wasn't lying. It is, it's going to be chilly. Right? I didn't read the – I didn't read the – I don't read stuff, right? Yeah. And, um, <laughs> I don't and read I, stuff. I was in a rush packing and <laughs> I just threw a bunch of stuff in a suitcase. Yeah, I was thinking warm and – and I just left Scottsdale work. So what am I most excited about? I'm excited about the COO Alliance for sure. I'm definitely excited about a couple of my books that have come out. So I've got one book called Meeting Suck mm. that has done really, really well. My first book, Double Double, came out six years ago and was doing great. And then a third one that just came out that I'm giving everyone a copy here is called The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs that with I Hal? co-authored with Hal Elrod. Nice. So I'm excited about those. Just And some of my clients, like I'm coaching some really, really cool companies. You know, I've, I've been coaching Dave Asprey from Bulletproof Coffee and... Mm coaching guy named Hussein who's gone from 4 million to 58 million on Amazon and just I've got some really cool uh, entrepreneurs in that Toronto yeah yeah oh do you know him yeah 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 we we were at a dinner in Toronto together yeah so I've coached him for four years I still coach him today I, I yeah. literally started coaching him and he was almost bankrupt he couldn't afford to pay my bills two of the months and I said I'm not stopping coaching you now I'm going to coach you anyway if you can ever pay me back pay me back but we're going to get you there and he's killing it so I'm, I'm excited about a number so you of you get my... really invested in these guys then if that's oh, the case yeah. you know it's not it's there's a deeper relationship. Oh, yeah. Just... And there's a million coaches. I'm yeah. not a coach. Right. I'm much more of a mentor. And because I've built companies, and a lot of them are really good cultures, like really strong company cultures, that's really what I'm known for as well. How's Hussein's company? Does is, is he have a big team? He's got you about know? 45 people. Okay. Yeah. I mean, with selling like stuff on Amazon, like... Do you teach him on like the culture aspect? Like, is there a good culture there? Oh yeah, great culture. Yeah, yeah he's got a I think seventy eight percent positive net promoter score mm. on his employee satisfaction. That's awesome. Yeah, he does really well. Yeah, like his selling on Amazon is just their it's where their customers are buying. Right. But he's got an office filled with people that are, you know, a lot of a lot of numbers people, but a lot of marketing, sales, packaging, mm. copywriting, design. Yeah, he's got some really cool people. He's a smart guy. I like he's him a wicked lot. Smart. Yeah, wicked smart. He's really cool. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. Oh, you're welcome. And Thanks, I, Rob. I'll let you go get a sweater. I know, I'm freezing right now. This is nuts. <laughs> but Thanks. I appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Got it. All right. So you can find Cameron at Cameron Herald on Twitter. That's at Cameron Herald. And of course, all the links and resources Cameron and I discussed, including more information on his current books and ventures, can be found at the page created especially for this episode. That'll be at failon.com slash 025. And next week, we've got a good one. We're sitting down with my good buddy, Nick Tarasio. Nick is the CEO of Ventura Aviation. And other than Unbound Merino with Dan Dembski, Nick might have my favorite company on the planet. 
outside of just running the the Ventura Aviation Company, he was a pilot by 16, he was flying Learjets by 19, and now he does these really fun flight adventures with incredibly interesting people and entrepreneurs, spontaneous last minute trips where you just hop in a plane and go. He's making me want to get my pilot's license so I can join in on the fun, but we have a great chat, very lighthearted, casual, you don't want to miss it. And if the podcast has your rules turning a bit, please email me at rob at and let me know what your biggest struggle is in either getting started or breaking through to the next level of wherever you're at. And as I continue to build out Failon with the goal of helping people embrace failure, share their struggle, and decide once and for all to create change in their lives, I'd be really grateful for a couple of things. Subscribing to the podcast takes a single click and helps the show get found by more people. And when people can find the show, it means it can help more people which means in return, you are helping people by simply subscribing. To subscribe and rate and review the podcast, super simple. Just visit failon.com slash iTunes or failon.com slash Stitcher. That's all for this episode of the Fail On Podcast. For more resources, show notes, and action items to help you find success in your failures, sign up for our mailing list at failon.com. For more actionable inspiration, we'll catch you next time right here on the Fail On Podcast.